You're listening to Uniquely Beautiful Stories with Heather McIneer, a place for you to find encouragement to fully live your uniquely beautiful life. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Uniquely Beautiful Stories podcast. I'm your host, Heather McIneer, and I'm so glad you're tuning in. I want to thank you for joining us each week as we bring you stories of redemption and beauty from my in-real-life friends sharing their real-life stories in hopes that you will find encouragement to go out and fully live your own uniquely beautiful story. Our podcast is brought to you by Cedar Creek Dental Associates. If you are near Oklahoma City looking for quality dental care, be sure to check out their website at OKCSmile.com. I promise you'll find an amazing staff, a gorgeous office, and most importantly, excellent dental care care to keep you smiling for years to come. Also, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe, give us a review or a rating, and pass on this episode link to a friend who might be encouraged. This is literally the only way other women will know these stories are out there in the world. Friends, you're listening to episode 17 with the beautiful Susie Biggs. Susie is starting her 18th year as an elementary school counselor in Yukon. She's been married to the love of her life, Kenny, for almost 41 years. And she has two adult sons, Bryce and Brett. She also has two wonderful daughters in love, Natalie and Lindsay. And best of all, she's got an amazing six-month-old grandson named Keller. (laughs) Susie, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. (laughs) Uh, I can't even remember when we first met or how long ago that was. I was trying to think about that. I mean, I know it's been probably 16 years since Garrick and I were um, served on a committee together. Yes. And so it's definitely been a while. (laughs) A long time. I know. I feel like I watched your boys grow up. I think you probably did a lot of it. (laughs) And just have been like in and out of different, you know, circles with you and served together, been part of showers and just all kinds of fun stuff. So it's been such a joy to just get to know you over the years and thank you watch your life and you too, you too and your <laughs> well, beautiful family well thank you thank you well there's so much to your story as with all of us sure. I would really love for you to share the journey you were on starting in 2015 give us a little background just kind of what life had been like up until that time and okay. maybe just what was going on that caused yeah. you alarm and took you into the season that we're going to talk right, about right well you know I was thinking about that you know hindsight what is it hindsight is always 2020 <laughs> exactly. and when I look back um, probably from about mid-summer of 2015 um, I could I can identify some signs that um, there were some problems going on with me they were minor kind of things like you know a sinus infection but a round of antibiotics wouldn't uh, take care of it so Mm -hmm. I'd still be sick or um, a stomach virus at an odd time and that would kind of hang on and so I started school I'm an elementary school counselor as I uh, um, as I started school I just really wasn't feeling my best kind mm-hmm. of just that kind of not feeling well just general fatigue but I pushed on through you know we're yeah. women and we That's do what that. we do we take care of stuff uh, in mid-September um, there was an incident that let me know that I was really very sick and I'd actually left school gone into Oklahoma City um, after uh, work that day to do an errand and was heading back to Yukon and as I was traveling back I began to feel very very nauseated Um, and then I really started feeling a pressure it was like a pressure in my back how I would describe it is it felt like there was a giant hand pushing my back into my chest and so 
of course, the first thought I had was that I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, so by that time, I was close to my home. So I came home. My husband, Kenny, was there. And basically, he we just jumped right back in the car. And he drove me very quickly out to the heart hospital mm-hmm. uh, out at Mercy. And the heart hospital is so wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. I was in very, very quickly and hooked me up to all kinds of monitors and um, took some blood, did an mm-hmm. IV, and gave me some things to kind of help with the pain and help with the nausea. Um, And so very quickly, I began to feel better. And the doctors uh, came in and said, you know, the good news is that there's no evidence that you're having a heart attack or have had a heart attack. Everything looks fine. Mm. But we're going to kind of check a little bit more because there was something with your blood is going on. In fact, it was interesting. The nurse who had started my IV came back in the room and said, you know, I'm going to take some blood from your other arm because your blood looks funny. It looks diluted, which I thought, what a weird term. But I didn't think anything. So shortly thereafter, the doctor came back in and and again reiterated good news no heart attack no evidence that there's any problems and probably the symptoms may be related to like gallbladder or something like that he said but there there is a more serious concern and he said and and it's with your blood (laughs) although at that time the numbers didn't mean anything to me began quoting me you know your white blood count should be at this number and it's way down at this number your Mm -hmm. hemoglobin should be this high and it's very low here your platelets should be this high and it's very low basically Mm -hmm. all my counts were very, very low. And he said, you know, this is something that really we definitely need to get some attention paid to it very quickly. Um, he said, you know, I'm just going to call next door to Mercy. Huh. And um, if you're okay with that, we could just kind of go on and admit you over there, um, get you connected with a hematologist, huh. and we can figure out what's going on. So I'm like, well, sure, of course, that's hmm. fine. At this point, are you starting to feel anxious You and know, nervous? it was so weird because there was no, there was no history of cancer in my family. Hmm. I do have a lot of heart disease. And that's hmm. why my mind was yes. just focused on that. And really, the way the doctor introduced it, looking back, I'm pretty sure he knew what was going on, hmm. but just did not want to alarm me. Yeah. But honestly, at that point, I was just like, okay, I'm I'm just glad I'm feeling better. I know I need to figure out what's going on. Yes. And so the nurse wheeled me in the tunnel, which I didn't know there was a tunnel between the two hospitals <laughs> there, but wheeled me across. And as we were going, I remarked to her, you know, this is so weird because honestly, Heather, up to that point, I had just been remarkably healthy uh, through my whole adult life. I mean, nothing major. The only times I'd ever even been in the hospital was when both of my kids were born, Mm -hmm. um, coincidentally, at Mercy. Um, They wheeled me over and got on the elevator, and we got up. And when we started going down the floor, I did notice on the wall that it said oncology. That was really the first time that it hit me that this may be something Hmm. could be serious, but... Hmm. Settled in for the night um, and told me that a hematologist, they were still using So that they were word, still saying that, even still though saying you... that, okay. would be coming in in the morning. So I slept well. The next morning, bright and early, a very young doctor stepped in my room, very handsome, articulate, obviously very smart. His name was uh, Dr. Hapani, and he introduced himself. He said, you know, looked over all your tests. I've looked at your blood. He kind of reiterated the problems. And um, at that point, he said, now, I I don't want you to be concerned right now. I don't really think this is leukemia. But Hmm. the best way to rule that out is uh, to do a bone marrow biopsy. Hmm. Um, And he explained to me what that was, which is where they um, go into your one of your hip bones with a long needle. And then they aspirate some of the bone marrow Mm -hmm. and test it for the presence of cancer cells. And he he had a PA that Mm -hmm. he uh, liked. And he said, you know, I could just call this PA. They could come and do this test in right here at the ho- in your hospital bed. And so really before I'd even had time to kind of think about what they were getting ready to 
you do right. the lady came in and they did the test and it was fine it went well <laughs> was Kenny He's, with you this whole Kenny time Kenny was with me he had stayed with he'd me stayed he stayed night. with me all night and and even at that point we were still because I was feeling better yeah. then we were still talking you know this is probably going to be no big deal and even Dr. Apani said you know I really don't think this is going to be a huge thing but it's probably something we just need to look at we'll get these preliminary results this evening and you know hopefully mm. we'll be able to just let you go home and then we'll huh. tend to it from so there. he really was thinking that you think he, he wasn't trying to be you know I do think honestly because my counts were so severely mm. low I think that they really did think that that was um, a, a possibility he also started asking me a lot of questions like have you ever worked around heavy metals or have you had any kind of radiation or mm. other kinds of things that could expose you to any kind of toxins like that and mm-hmm. of course I never had right they did the test. Kenny stayed. Um, by this time, you know, of course, he talked to our small group. And so a few people from mm-hmm. our church and some of my small group people were kind of coming up and calling. And I was just saying, you know, really, I'm feeling better. They did mm. this test. We'll probably be good tonight. Later that afternoon, um, I was sitting. Uh, Kenny actually stepped out to go get something to eat. And one of uh, a friend of ours from church, Iva, Germany, had um, come. And we're just kind of talking. And the nurse comes in. And she has this package um, with some tubing and, you know, all wrapped up and kind of puts it on the side of the bed. And I'm like, well, what's that? And she goes, well, well Dr. Apani has ordered a pick line for you. And so that was really the moment that I kind of realized, you know, I think there could be something really serious um, hmm. going on here. And so I said, well, so has he, what's going on? Can you tell me anything? And she's like, well, no, he'll be in. He'll hmm. be in pretty soon. He did come in. My sister-in-law was with me then at that time. And so she stepped out of the room and just by his demeanor when he walked in, yeah. um, you know, we knew that this was uh, not good news. And so he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, but this is cancer, uh, a form of leukemia called um, AML, um, acute myeloid leukemia. The acute designation means that it's a fairly sudden onset and that it progresses pretty quickly. Mm. And myeloid has to do with the type of cells that it produces. And what leukemia really does within your bone marrow is it takes over all of that healthy creation of platelets and red blood cells and white blood cells, you know, that make up our blood, Mm -hmm. that make up our immune system, that bring, you know, oxygen and um, all of the nutrients to the organs in our body. So those cancer blasts take over. And so Mm -hmm. then what is released into your bloodstream are very immature cells. Hence the reason all of my counts were so very low. And so that was kind of our... our, That's uh, that moment. The moment, yeah. Nobody wants to have it was and it was crazy he i think the doctor stayed with us probably about an hour oh. was kenny in the room kenny was there he... with me and i remember he cried mm-hmm. and he kept saying i'm so sorry i'm so sorry Susie. i wish i could trade mm-hmm. places with you mm-hmm. and i really heather it was so weird i just felt numb it was almost like i was kind of watching this happen to somebody mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. Uh, but he continued to explain he said i i still he said you have many things going for you he said you're young which i was like Hey, that's great. I was I was actually fifty eight at the time, so I'm thinking, hey, that's you know, calling me young. That's awesome. But um, typically for adults, um, AML typically will onset sometime after the age of sixty or sixty five, um, and prior to that, it's typically a, a better incidence of, of regaining your health. So he said, that's good. You've got that going for you. He said, you've been very healthy your whole adult life. You don't have other things, and he was very reassuring in that way. He also said to me, I will, I'm going to take good care of you. He said. And he that was when we knew how young he was. He said, you know, you're 
my mother is your age. He said, I'm 34. Oh, my like, goodness. Oh, my gosh. But he said, You're, my mother is 58. He said, I'm going to care for you as though uh, I would want someone to care for my mother. Oh. And I also remember him saying, you know, I, I'll do the medicine, but God will do the healing. Oh, wow. So I was so grateful. Wow. Um, you know, to know that even at that time, even my medical care was was definitely yeah. um, tuned in to the fact that, you know, real healing is going to come from the mm. Lord. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. You don't, I don't feel like I hear stories like that very often where the medical professional is. Yeah. It, you know. Yeah. Really and truly. And I, I will just say that was just kind of, I guess, maybe the very first nugget mm. um, as we went on this journey that we knew so undoubtedly that God was going before us mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Hapani um, went on to explain kind of what the treatment would be. Yeah, and it was called, stuff. it's called 7 plus 3, which basically is same standard treatment for any adult who has AML. You start with seven days of a chemotherapy, you know, an intravenous wow. chemotherapy medication. And then on three of those days, um, they add an additional chemotherapy. Wow. Then um, they give you about a week to 10 days for your body to rest and for the bone marrow to build back up again. And then you repeat the bone marrow biopsy to see um, if it's reduced the cancer blast. Okay. So that was the plan. Um, Did they would, start that immediately? Mm-hmm. And then that was the hence the reason why he'd come in and ordered the pick line. Okay. And so uh, that was going to start immediately. The plan then would be that I, you know, again, that would pro- that usually entails about a three to four week hospital stay. Okay. If things go well, then you're dismissed from the hospital. You continue to check with your oncologist about every six weeks or so. You would go back into the hospital, have another round of kind of maintenance chemotherapy, okay. do about three rounds of that. And then if everything goes well, you know, you're considered in remission. So best case scenario that he told me was if that was the path that we would go down, um, you know, I might be well by the following February. Okay. Um, so do was, you, they probably do just throw out the best case for everyone at the beginning because uh, you, so. you just don't know what, and yeah. you want to give them the most hopeful um, yes. outlook as possible. And you by could February, be returning you to be, regular You could be back to normal. And so yeah. I'm like, okay. And, you know, the other thing about that particular day was kind of by that time, there were several people at the hospital, people from our small group, mm-hmm. our family, some other friends. Of course, the longer the doctor was in the room with us, you know, yeah. the more they knew there was, we were probably not getting good news. And, one of the other things that he said was, um, you know, because uh, your immune system, this is compromising your immune system so much, I want you to be very careful with limiting contact with mm. other people. Meaning, um, you can't go out of the hospital room except in the evenings to wow. kind of walk and uh, in the halls when there's not very many people here. Wow. And when you do go outside of the room, you must wear a mask um, because infection is really the enemy of uh, a leukemia patient. Mm-hmm. Really, the thing that kills a, a person with leukemia is um, a simple kind of infection, maybe a common cold, can quickly develop into pneumonia, which can quickly develop into sepsis, which can mm. result in death. So so it's not really the cancer per se that, that kills you, but it's the infection mm. that your, your body is exposed to. And that, mm. you know, it began to make me think of, you know, probably why I kept getting sick and was, you oh. know, having all these recurrent things in the mm. summer. So I'm thinking back to how you began the story. So you are running errands. You go, you think yeah. you may be having a heart attack, and then they immediately admit you. Now yeah. you've spent the night. Now they're saying, we're starting treatment yeah. now, and you're not going to leave the hospital. Yeah. 
It was like literally in 24 hours, I mean, everything in our life changed. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. I mean, I don't know. Always think about the, um, you know, the adage that your mom tells you when you're young. Now, be sure you wear clean underwear because you never know if you're going to have a rat. And I wanted to say, be sure that you keep your office and your house in order because you never know when you're going to leave and not come back. Because that's exactly what happened to me at school. I left one day and then no idea. And then it began basically a two-year odyssey before I returned. My goodness. So I do want to hear about all the different chapters through your journey. But I think since you mentioned school, I want mm-hmm. to ask you this because I um, I know that you've returned now. You yes. told us you're starting yes. your, your 18th year. So during that period where you were, when you were fighting this, mm-hmm. did you know they were like saving your job for you? Or was it just year to year, month no, to it month? Was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, again, one of the good things about being old <laughs> is I've worked a long time and I had a career. Um, quite a bit of sick leave and um, so it is just amazing for me to even be able to say but I I actually had enough sick leave accrued to last me that entire school year oh my goodness so 2015 2016 I was it was just like I was on sick leave and then um, at the end of that school year um, there's actually a sick leave bank people can donate to you most school districts do this and so um, there were several um, people they and so at the end of that school year I was able to have the maximum additional sick leave and um, was donated to me, which is a hundred more days. Oh my goodness! So basically, I was on sick leave that whole time. When I came back to work, I came back half days. Uh, of course, they had in the meantime had to replace me at my right. job with another counselor. And so when I, I was ready to go back half days, there was counselor to a different school, and so I went back and kind of took her place. So it oh, was wow. just like all these dominoes kind of fell into place. But mm. the other plus side about that was yes, my job was preserved. Um, and also, it didn't mean any loss of income to us, mm. which is That's, just unfathomable to it me really is. that we had that, that God just... He took care of everything. He just took care of everything. Wow. He absolutely took care of everything. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you immediately started the 7 plus 3, mm-hmm. and tell mm-hmm. us kind of mm-hmm. how that went and how your body responded and just what that treatment sure. was like. To start, it, it's not bad. You know, you're just hooked up to an IV. One of the beautiful things um, was that there really wasn't any pain involved. I mean, mm. I was so fortunate. It wasn't something where I'd have a lot of invasive procedures or anything mm. like that. Um, but they just started um, chemo. And, of course, you know, you're always kind of waiting for the, you know, the nausea, yes. all of those kinds of symptoms. Um, the nurses and my doctor, um, you know, assured me we've got all kinds of things. If nausea comes, we can take care of that. Mm-hmm. So um, the first few days, you know, I really felt pretty much myself. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. They would they would have to change the chemo at, because it was a continuous 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So it would be 12 hours. And so we I always said we had a little midnight chemo party. <laughs> um, and they have two, two nurses. I learned a lot of things about that whenever chemo is administered. You know, it has to be specially certified nurses. There have to oh. be two nurses there to huh. assure that there's no problem, no mistakes made or anything. Uh-huh. So we have our little midnight chemo parties. <laughs> I want to say, I mean, I probably was there a good two weeks before I really started feeling the effects. Huh. And it was mostly um, still the fatigue, which honestly I'd already been feeling mm-hmm. prior to that. I was so thankful during that first um, hospital stay at Mercy. I really did not have any nausea. Oh. What I did have was some mouth sores that okay. were just, oh my gosh, they were excruciating. Oh. 
And, of course, that's because the chemotherapy um, attacks the fast-growing cells in your body, which the inside of your mouth, you know, those cells slough off, and so it attacks there, too. So that kind of resulted in me not really being able to eat very much. Mm -hmm. So I kind of lost some weight, which actually was not a problem. It was okay. (laughs) But um, Did they have to do any kind of IV nutrition or any alternate nutrition? No, just fluids. That was the main thing. Um, And, of course, you know, I was pretty much continuing on fluids as well with the chemo. So, you know, I would say that first part of it was not, I mean, it was all very manageable. Okay. Um, it was probably also about a couple of weeks um, before I started noticing my hair falling out. Yeah. And, um, of course, I was, um, you know, I knew that was most likely going to happen. And so uh, it was just kind of, it was just kind of funny. I would, um, you know, you would reach up and kind of scratch your head and pull and then there would just be after your hair would come out. Oh, and my so goodness. It was funny. There was a real sweet lady that came in that was kind of my regular person that came to clean my room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess I'd be, if I brushed my hair, there'd be, you know, hair a little scattered around. And every day when she came in, she said, girl, that hair's going out. And when your hair's finally gone, I can tell you where to get a wig. And so she was so sweet and kind. And so, you know, it was, in some ways, it was a very surreal time. Of course, you're kind of on um, hospital time there. You know, you wake up. Of course, we had our midnight chemo parties. We also have, you know, they come in about 5 o'clock in the morning, 4.35, to do your labs, Mm -hmm. which with the pick line is really not bad at all. Yeah, Yeah. they just, you know, there's no, you know, they don't have to poke you or anything. So that's great. Um, And were they doing that every day? mm -hmm. And that was just to see how your body was responding to the chemo. Yes. And also in the midst of that too, they were still uh, monitoring all of those blood counts, particularly your red blood and platelets. Okay. Of course, red blood can be replaced uh, by blood and then platelets by platelets. Mm -hmm. And so when those um, numbers would get to a certain low point, um, then I would get blood or I would okay. get platelets, which again is just, you know, they just hook it up and yeah. in it goes. So, so yeah, I was getting fluids and then the chemotherapy and then um, the blood. And then, of course, uh, after the seven days, uh, we go kind of into the waiting period. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you do another bone marrow biopsy and then kind of determine the treatment from there. Okay. So how did your body respond to the chemo? Well, when we went back and did the second biopsy, actually there were um, slightly more uh, cancer mm. blasts than mm. had started. By this time, uh, my doctor had sent, um, they sent the bone marrow and I guess my blood work and all, um, actually to Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. They also, whenever you have leukemia, and even today I can't really explain all of it, but they kind of put you in um, three categories. Um, it's it's not really staged like mm-hmm. other cancers, but as far as its likelihood of uh, needing um, a stem cell transplant or bone marrow transplant in order to recover and so the staging they put you in a low low probability intermediate or high and so in the meantime those tests were coming back and it put me of course we were praying that it would be in the low um high probability means you know you definitely are going to have to have this mine came back intermediate okay so uh you know not not great but still you know not not terrible doctor at that time was actually consulting with some doctors at md anderson and so they decided rather than um that, that they were going to go on and try one more round. And so okay. they did kind of an abbreviated, it was only four days um, okay. of one of the drugs that I had previously taken to see then again if my body would respond. So okay. so this is just your second treatment in or second week in of this just to see since the first week showed the increase. Right. Well, and actually it didn't, uh, we didn't actually start that until probably, probably early October because okay. that give your body that 
Um, That's right. Weeks to 10 days. Yeah. So there was a lot of hurry up and waits going <laughs> yes. on um, during that time. Yes. And at this point, you still haven't left the hospital. No, I haven't left the hospital. Visitors are pretty limited. Oh, mm-hmm. I can't have flowers. I can't have fruit. Oh, I can't have anything kind fresh. Of, nothing fresh. And so... Was uh, Kenny able to come and stay? And yes, absolutely. He kept... Well, I didn't want him to stay at night. He didn't need to stay. He <laughs> and, You're waking and, up enough. Yeah, exactly. And really, you know, I was, I was not in pain. Yeah. I, I could communicate very well. I mean, yeah. I could participate in my therapy. And and so I didn't feel like I needed him right. in the daytime. So he would typically go to work and then come after work. Mm-hmm. Um, our kids, um, my younger son, Brett, lives yes. in Colorado. And he um, he and his wife came down the first weekend. Um, some other dear friends of ours paid for them to Aww. come down um, and just, they you know. surprise you? Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> just um, and, and he was, Brett was so sweet. You know, when we called, he was like, okay, I'm coming down. I'm like, no, you don't need to come down. He goes, Mom, I'm coming down. Oh. So uh, they kind of surprised us. And, of course, Bryce um, was there. And he lives He lives locally, in Oklahoma right? City. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's was here. Was that really hard to tell the boys? What was that like? You know, um, it was. And, in fact, I um, really, uh, with Brett, when we knew it was cancer, um, I actually called his wife, beautiful, mm. my beautiful first daughter in love, um, Lindsay, mm. because I just knew in my heart he was going to need some support. Mm. And so I uh, called her pretty immediately after. I mean, of mm. course, he was at work. And, and I said, you know, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to tell you something, but you're going to need to be there for him. Mm. And so, you know, precious girl that she is, mm. you know, she was ready for that. And so, yeah, it was, that was difficult. I would say probably it was a little more difficult for um, Bryce. Mm. It's kind of a whole other story. He wasn't married at the time, but honestly, that, that actual weekend... He had had his first date with Natalie, who is now his wife. Aww. So they weren't really, they weren't even in a relationship yet. But it was funny because he'd had this blind date with her. And after, you know, we knew that the, these test results were coming in mm-hmm. when we first were in the hospital. And he said that day, he said, Mom, should I come after work? And I'm like, well, you don't need to because I think I'll be fine. And he's like, well, you know, I'm supposed to have a date with this girl. And so that's when he even told us about Natalie. And I'm oh, like, my, oh my gosh, no, you go on and do that. Well, then, of course, we heard that news, and um, it was, I, I called him and left him a message and just said, hey, you know, give me a call if you want to, if it's not too late. Well, he didn't call me that night, but he called me early the next morning. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely was hard to just have to tell him, you mm-hmm. know, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. But I will say that, um, you know, even at that time, and I just have a Holy Spirit just was so present um, and just brought to my mind, and I both both of the boys were angry. I mean, they mm-hmm. were both just angry. Yeah. And, um, and I just said, you know, Bryce, this has nothing to do with shortening my life. Mm-hmm. This is not going to take one single day off of what my life was going to be mm-hmm. here. Um, and so we don't have to worry. We we can look forward mm-hmm. because we know God is going to be here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, a, that was a tough one. And those are such tough conversations to have, I can yeah. imagine, with your children. Because, you know, yeah. you're supposed to be the strong one, the wise yeah. one, the one that they're going to in Absolutely. their troubles. It and breaks it, it breaks your heart. And I would say the things... That, so funny the things that really just would make me very emotional and afraid and sad was exactly that I did not want 
to die and leave them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing was my dog, which is so funny. Uh, you know, I felt because I couldn't be, Kenny was at our, you know, at the hospital a lot. So we kind of had to figure out what are we going to do with our dog. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a whole other saga that <laughs> honestly God took care of, found a great little foster mama to take care of him. But, you know, yeah, you're right. Things like that. Because um, my own mom, my mother, um, and it was so odd because she actually passed away when I when I was 19. Mm. Uh, but she was um, just a little bit older than I was when I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Uh, hers was heart disease. Um, and, you know, in my mind, that was something that was never going to happen to my kids. Mm. I was never going to leave them early. Yeah. Um, and so I'm... So I'm sure your mind was replaying it was, all it of was, that. It was, and... yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Talk a little bit about the the mind battle. And I know we've oh, talked, no. and even through your treatment, mm-hmm. I would text, and you had a whole bunch of people that were your prayer warriors, and you would share things mm-hmm. on Facebook. You would share things personally with us. But I know from watching you walk through that, you were very diligent about renewing your mind. And yeah. it's so important to keep you from just going down that Absolutely. rabbit hole and falling into despair. Absolutely. You know, how, what were some of the practical ways you oh, did that? Man. that? And really, Heather, that was... That was honestly everything um Mm -hmm. you know early in the journey um probably really that second day rick came our pastor Mm -hmm. rick and um he he came in and i i'll never forget he stood at the end of my bed you know getting close and he and to pray with us and talk with us and he just he shared with me a verse and it was isaiah 41 10 Mm -hmm. which of course says do not fear for i'm with you do not anxiously look about you for i am your god i will strengthen you Surely I will help you. Mm -hmm. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Mm -hmm. And really that verse kind of became my cornerstone verse um and i remember that night he as he prayed with us you know you know kenny came around held my hand you know rick held kenny's hand and then rick it was kind of like okay can i and i'm like well here's my toe under the blanket hold my toe where's the point of contact you won't get sick <laughs> so uh, but he he prayed over us and shared that verse and mm. as i say it really became kind of my cornerstone verse mm. and i really began to to visualize what that verse was mm. and really visualize you know, God upholding me in his righteous right mm. hand. And you know how a hospital bed is, you know, the, the feet go up and the yes. head goes up and you can do that. And even with all that, they are still the most uncomfortable thing oh, to yeah. sleep in in the world. But I would try, I would in my mind visualize um, when I was in, you know, kind of, if I got myself adjusted in the bed, but I would imagine, you know, that, that hospital bed is being God's righteous right mm. hand. And like you say, all of the people, yourself and just the the whole army of people who I would say raced to my side mm. to help many of them not being able to even actually be there, right. but through their prayers. I really did feel kind of like in the Old Testament, you know, when the, the important people were carried along yes. and all of the mass, it was like the prayers and the support of so many people were um, there and Mm. and God's right hand was holding me up there. Mm. But scripture was very important. And one thing, kind of that weird schedule that I had, like, you know, I'd be like at 530 in the morning, which for me is like foreign at all. Um, But I would be awake. And and so I would use that time to really just try to have a quiet time and read. And what I began to do was um, write scriptures, just kind of, in fact, I brought my old notebook here. I've kind of (laughs) transferred a lot of it to some journals, but I would write down scriptures and then I would read them out loud. Mm. Uh, One of my very dear friends, Gina Bloom, whom I've known since I was in high school, um, came uh, pretty frequently and shared 
shared with me and through just some things that she had uh, gone through, you know, talked to me about that importance of really reading those aloud. And so mm. that kind of became my practice. Um, as I would find a verse, I would write it down in the mornings and at night before I went to bed, I would read those verses mm. aloud. Um, I also um, wrote them. I didn't bring any of those, but I, I made another friend of ours, Beth Dempsey, go uh-huh. get me some giant post-it notes. Yes. And I would write those, and I began to post those on my wall. So hmm. those were really, and I can't even begin to express to you how much that part, as you say, really mm-hmm. bringing the Word in mm-hmm. and living with it was um, part of my journey through that. Yeah. Well, it replaces those thoughts of fear and worry and anxiety with God's truth. Absolutely. And I've said this before, but we can't think two things at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if we're meditating on fear, then we're all in with that. But when we're thinking about something totally different and meditating on scripture, then in that moment, we're all in right there. Absolutely. Um, And that that really is everything. mm -hmm. That is really the key to everything so and I'm guessing all the different nurses and techs and people that came into your room I mean what a witness you were doing this for your own heart and your own strength but I can imagine the conversations you got to have and just the witness that that scripture being plastered on your walls was you know it it really was cool and I mean you know I hope that's true you know Mm -hmm. absolutely that was my prayer and I will just say that you know throughout all of my journey with this the The nursing care that I got was just so amazing. You know, just engaging people. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. of course, I was there, and there there weren't very many other people who could come around. So they they did become really my friends and, you know, who honestly stayed with me. You know, we would text throughout the rest of the journey, my journey, and, you know. But they were such emotional supports for me. I remember Mm. one morning, maybe the second or third day I was there, I'd gotten just a precious email from a a parent, actually, at my school, and she had shared with me just some verses out of Zephaniah and I mean it was just beautiful she Mm. shared and I was reading that early in the morning and you know shift change for the nurses around seven and so um, one of my sweet nurses Melinda came in and you know they just usually kind of come in touch base say hey I'm gonna be your day nurse just checking in of course they have to go to everybody well I just finished reading that and she came in and she said well okay just check and see how you're doing you're all right and I'm like I'm fine and I just (laughs) I mean I literally just burst into tears and that was probably really the first time that I personally had just broken down. Mm. I told my girlfriends it was the big old ugly cry. Yes. And um, I just boohooed and uh, was, you know, I think just really pouring out a lot of that emotion. And she was so precious. She just sat down on the edge of my bed mm-hmm. like she had all the time in the world to listen to me. And so it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was absolutely a two-way street with that. Um, they they gave me so much emotional um, support mm-hmm. um, during that time. I truly believe it is a special calling to be oh, a nurse at all. But especially, I can't even, you know, with I, oncology. It, is, it has to be a calling. It's, well, yeah, because you, yeah, because you lose so many people. Right. I mean, you just do. So. And the emotional, like oh. you said, just knowing that you're, you're walking through this and yes. their tears may come at any time and yes. you're watching loved ones grieve their, their sick loved one. You're yeah. watching parents with their children and children mm-hmm. with their parents. And I mean, I think I would just be a ball of tears every day if I, you know, I, if I was yeah. in that place, but I think yeah. it, it really takes a special person to have that strength to be able to, to endure that. But also the, the tenderness, like you absolutely. said, to sit down and, and yeah. just be with you, cry and to with be, you, and talk just to, to you. be there. Yeah. Just to be there. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you it has to be a calling mm-hmm. because um, I can't imagine how someone could do that otherwise I, I would not be able to do that no. emotionally so no. but how grateful I you know I was so grateful for that mm. um, and like I say that God just really placed those wonderful caregivers physically and emotionally you mm. know throughout that whole my whole path with that 
so you were here at Mercy for just a few weeks, and yeah. then I know you doors opened for you to move to MD Anderson. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, and and basically what happened after that, you know, that that first round of treatment, then the second round of treatment, um, of course, another bone marrow biopsy, again, did not show reduction in the cancer blast, and so that's when our doctor, um, we kind of came across that we knew, you know, it was looking more like a bone marrow transplant was going to be my best chance of a long-term survival, but you cannot have that until you're in remission. Okay, so, so you still have to do the treatments to absolutely. get you Absolutely, you have to get okay. to remission before you can have the bone marrow transplant because if that disease is there and you do the transplant, the disease will, you know, still mm-hmm. take that over. So mm-hmm. the next step, of course, when you um, are don't respond to conventional treatment is you start looking at clinical trials. Okay. And so that's when, again, I just am so grateful to Dr. Hapani um, that he really didn't have any kind of ego invested in it. He was all about, I'm looking for the best place for you, mm. you know, if what we can do isn't gonna gonna be uh, cut it for you, where do we go next? Mm. And so um, that was what he did. He kind of looked around for clinical trials for us, and he really just shared with us, you know, you can probably stay there. There might be one or two at OU that could possibly fit you. He said, but if you go to a place like MD Anderson or Mayo, those are the places that you are really going to be able to access what you may need. And so he actually had some, uh, you know, colleagues at MD Anderson that he was communicating with. Basically, what we did was then um, I got out of the hospital. The main thing we needed to look out for was that I didn't get sick. Mm-hmm. I stayed home. You know, when I got out, I just went to the doctor's office, wore a mask. Other than that, so that that was kind of the goal. In early November, Dr. Pani arranged for us to go down to MD Anderson to visit. And it was at that time we talked, we kind of talked with the stem cell department, again, kind of trying to figure out what to do. And they sent me back to their leukemia department. And that's when we kind of got hooked up with them. Uh, And what that involved was they looked through the studies that I could be eligible for, kind of their grand rounds. They basically kind of the brain trust that gets together all of the, all of the experts uh, get together, staff each case, decide maybe this trial could work for this person or that mm-hmm. person so that's how we kind of got hooked up and so I started a clinical trial there this one was kind of an interesting one I still have the pick line and it was also a continuous chemo but it was in just a small bag that I carried with me and so um, that was kind of fun that was kind of interesting going through the airport when oh, we flew gosh. down with that yes <laughs> having to go through all of that but that's kind of how we first got connected with okay. MD Anderson and at that point did you move in or was that at that point we still were able um again i and i i do attribute this just because of our excellent care here and the communication that they had um what i was able to do was go down there you know they'd set me up on the treatment i could come back to oklahoma city okay i still went for blood work and then about every four to six weeks we would return back to houston kind of do a check go through our Uh whole checkup there Again, they would make decisions and go on okay. from there. So how long did it take you to get into remission with yeah. your body? Yeah. Um, actually, um, after I went through that first first clinical trial, that one did not do anything for me. Oh. Um, at the time, actually, when I very first went down, um, they had identified a one of the genetic mutations, um, which, again, just is so amazing to me what <laughs> medical science can do. But they'd, they'd identified a certain genetic mutation that my cancer had, hmm. and they wanted to do one of, uh, one of the new targeted cancer therapies on that. However, at the time I first got hooked up with MD Anderson, I wasn't eligible for that trial because it was only for uh, people who had had a rec- who had had leukemia but had a recurrence of it. And, of course, okay. mine was on my initial. I'd never been in remission. Okay. Um, but in January of 2016, they released people 
people to be able to do that. So that's when I was able to start with that therapy. And it was targeted, again, as I say, to a specific mutation that my um, cancer had. Mm. Um, and because it was a it was a fairly new trial, they didn't really know how long to tell me that it would take. Mm. The great thing about it was it was a pill. Oh. So I didn't have to be hooked up wow. to anything. I still had the pick line because um, I still did have to return um, either to Mercy or at MD Anderson. I was there periodically to get blood products. Oh. Uh, or platelets. Yes. Again, I was still kind of traveling back and forth, uh-huh. uh, but it took until um, July. In fact, it's been just almost exactly two years ago uh-huh. um, when I finally went into remission. And remission um, was when I had five percent or less cancer blasts okay. in the blood. So that's so there. I didn't realize that there could still actually be a small amount of cancer blasts, but they still consider it remission. Correct. Yeah. Well, and in fact, it's interesting. You're not even actually diagnosed with leukemia unless you have over twenty percent blasts oh, in wow. your blood, which again was just so fascinating to me that uh, Dr. Arpani shared that all of our bodies, you know, we all have these, you know, uh, renegade cells, so to speak, that show up from time to time. But basically when our body is healthy and working the way it should, our body takes care of those. Cancer is when those renegade cells, for some reason or another, are able to take over the healthy cells. Okay. So, so under 5% was kind of the number we were aiming okay. for, and it took till Ju- till July of 2016. So then once you were in remission, did, mm-hmm. and they had seen in the early test that a bone marrow transplant yeah. was really your best chance of yeah. long-term. Yes. So did they immediately start talking about yes. that? Yeah. In fact, actually all along, um, they had been looking for that. Um, through There is a registry, a bone marrow registry, called Be the Match, and it actually is a world wide registry above my pay level of understanding it but it's more than just having the same blood type Um, you have to have some of the same genetic makeup type and so um, typically the first thing they'll look at is siblings Mm -hmm. um, because you of course would have the same genetic makeup both from your mother and your father Um, however I don't have any siblings I'm an only child Um, so um, the next thing that they look at is they will look at your own children but honestly your you know my kids have only half of my genetic makeup so probably in about mm, late spring they had said you know what we're really gonna we're having better success with these they call them haplo identical or half match which is um, would be one of my own sons so uh, they said you know we we were having better luck with that so we want to go on and do some further testing with your Mm. kids so um, I think that was kind of the time when I went to my kids and I said hey this is a possibility you know and just as a mom I'm like okay I don't want to make you feel like you have to do that right both of them were both it was like they were insulted they were like mom are you kidding me of course we'll do this you know so they were both very willing and so they went through some um, additional testing to determine um, if one of them was a better match Um, and really I don't know that there was really a better match than the other but they did decide that my older son Bryce who lives here in Oklahoma City um, would be the donor so um, you kind of have this sweet spot once you go into remission okay of course, your treatment uh, has to stop before, and then they go on and you know start the the process for the bone marrow donation. So that was set up for August. Okay, so you remission was July. Remission so was you July. have about a month. And yes, they don't want to wait too long in case. Exactly because yeah they have, you've got to, because you're because you've got to stay in that same re- yes. remission state. Yes. Of course, all along the other thing with that is, and you alluded to that earlier, um, when you do have a bone marrow transplant, um, you ha- you have to move there, um, yeah. and so the uh, what MD Anderson says is that you have to uh, be able to be in the area uh, within for at least 100 days after wow. transplant. 
Um, there has to be a caregiver with you 24 hours a day, and you have to be within 30 minutes of MD Anderson. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a whole other odyssey yes. of trying to figure out, even though it was so amazing that, you know, I was on sick leave. My husband had been able to still continue working, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. even in the midst of these trips. But, um, you know, we had to figure out how we were going to uh, live in Houston for four months. <laughs> and I know, uh, just from, from watching your story mm. from the side, that God really took care oh, of all those details. I know there's so many stories, but tell yeah. us just a, a couple of things that yeah. you really saw yeah. God's hand. Well, and basically, uh, absolutely. We, of course, I, I, you know, that was something, it was so weird. I wasn't so much worried about the cancer as worried about how are we going to get a place to stay and how are we going <laughs> to afford it. And MD Anderson does help and, oh my word, give you lots of resources in there. There are many resources for some um, affordable housing uh-huh. down there. But kind of just through networking and understanding, I knew that um, some of the churches provided some help mm-hmm. with that. Whenever we were in Houston, um, it's such a crazy place to travel in. I have, oh. a, I have a whole other backstory of a wreck that we had on our oh, way no. down and that was just crazy and how God took care of that. But traveling around in Houston is just, I mean, for me, a nightmare because mm. it's like... It's like the Audubon every place you are. Yes. So we kind of tried to identify um, where's a church, you know, yes. where, where's some place we can, you know, kind of go. Even though Connect. we were on this weird, you know, kind of surreal schedule. Um, if there were some times we were down there on Sunday or even Saturday evenings, where could we, you know, kind of go plug in? And so First Baptist um, was one we knew how to travel to. Um, and so honestly, one Saturday night, um, that was a Sunday night, I think. But um, I told Kenny, you know, I just, you know, I, I need to go to church. You just got to mm-hmm. take me. I just, I, I just was feeling that so we went to their church and literally I just you know pulled out the on the little bulletin and pulled out on the prayer request and Mm. just kind of filled in you know please pray for me I'm you know I'm down here seeking treatment we'll be looking for a place to stay and you know thank you so much for your ministry you know you're ministering to us and turn that in well a couple of days later a very lovely lady from First Baptist Houston called us and she said I think we can help you with this and so at that time um, we were put on a waiting list um, for it's called Hope House um, and it's just a beautiful ministry that First Baptist Houston does and that's what they do they have a, a couple of condominiums that they literally rent um, and then some other uh, people in their um, congregation have some some housing options mm. for people and they literally loan that out to people who are down there who have to come and wow. access extended care so I'm so we already were kind of in communication with them literally about two weeks later um, she called me and said we have a vacancy um, in one of our Hope House condominiums starting July, uh, August the 1st. Oh, wow. And we were scheduled to begin treatment on August the 7th. So it oh. was just like, okay, God. And oh, so he, he literally just totally worked up the timing and the, the housing. It was at absolutely no cost to oh. us. Wow. Oh. Which is still just, and it, it's just like she said, you know, our goal is to just so people can come in just with their personal items and then be at home. And mm. it really was true. The cutest little one-bedroom condo fully furnished i mean the kitchen stocked with everything every appliance linens towels Mm. i mean you know food canned food in the pantry i mean and so that became our home we went down to galveston to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary that our 39th wedding anniversary and and then came back and the following day and on the following sunday i checked into the into the hospital and what they do prior to the bone marrow transplant you have to go through a conditioning process is what they call it and basically what that 
does is it is a, a very intensified chemotherapy that is designed to kill off any of the remaining bone marrow of, of your own that you have. Okay. Any remaining cancer cells, of course, but even your own bone marrow. And then at that point, um, that is when they introduce the donor uh, bone marrow to you okay. so the so the new marrow can grow. Okay. So, goodness, talk about the experience of your yeah. son being the one to give you the bone It was marrow. just, you know, the correlation between our father mm-hmm. and giving his son so that we can have life was yeah. just so amazing to me because basically that was really the truth. And it was the same thing. I had to go through the conditioning so all my bone all my bone marrow could be killed so my son's new healthy bone marrow could be introduced so we we start that Bryce came down actually that week as well and he had to be there for a couple of days to go through um you know some testing he had to consult with a surgeon because his his part of it was really the committed part when you receive a bone marrow transplant when i received the new marrow that basically comes into you it looks like a giant bag of platelets is okay. what it looks like and, and of and course, that, your body was used to that. And my body doing was used that to for that, right? Two and, years. and actually, at that time, that what the other thing I was, I had a central line inserted, so that comes in. But the way they harvest the bone marrow is they do. It's about an hour and a half to two hour procedure. They go into um, his uh, back hip bone that way, and they do basically um, eighty to a hundred punctures oh. where they withdraw bone marrow from him. Wow! Um, and like I say, it basically looks like if you can imagine, like a. A little bit bigger than a gallon bag of you know Ziploc baggie, mm. um, and that's and that's what they did. Wow. So he came down, kind of did his consultation. I went through that process, and then he and Natalie um, came down. By that time, they were in a very serious, committed relationship, and so grateful for her to be with mm-hmm. him during this part of it. The morning uh, it actually um, occurred on August the fifteenth. We could, and we call that my new birthday. Mm. It really is. That's even even within the community. Mm. It's called your new birthday. Because because you know the old you is, is dead and yeah. the new you is begun, and um, wow. so it was just amazing. I mean, I was just overwhelmed at the the generosity that he and that really and Brad as well was willing to give. And you know, it was amazing, Heather. I can't even I can't even tell you how many people, um, cl- people who are close to me and the people who really I kind of didn't even know very well would contact me during this whole process when Mm. especially when we knew the bone marrow transplant was coming that was like I mean people who who signed up with be the match to Mm. see the possibility Mm. you know could we be a donor so so many people were willing to do that but it really was just such a such a such a parallel between I was not going to have a survival chance unless my son was willing to give that to me Mm. So it was pretty amazing that way. Oh, I'm in tears just thinking about it. Yeah. It's so humbling. Yeah. And yeah. just the ultimate sacrifice yeah. that the we sacrifice. can make for someone. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was really it was really cool. So he, he does his procedure in the morning and then I get the the um the mobile that afternoon and then you wait um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and is there a, there's a per- period to see if the body's going to actually re- accept exactly. or reject is that yes okay. exactly exactly and um, and that's called you have to wait for engraftment okay um to determine it exactly what you said is the body going to receive this that's first of all is your body going to receive it and second of all is that going to initiate um healthy blood cell uh, blood development for okay. you and that is that the hundred days that's that you the talked about days, yeah. so you yeah. lived in houston for that whole time we did and we did are yeah. you doing regular like blood tests yeah. or how do they yes. how do they test that mm-hmm. yeah and and really you know it's it's amazing uh, and i think just kind of that whole process the process of the conditioning 
and then the bone marrow transplant. That was probably really the the lowest point for me as far as how I felt mm. um, health-wise. Because really, you know, one of my nurses says, you know, basically what they do is they give you just enough poison to not kill you um, and then start to build you back up. So wow. my body was reacting to that. Um, you usually you stay in the hospital anywhere from two, three to four weeks. And then, like you say, that 100 days um, you begin um, after you've been dismissed from the hospital, you begin with coming back every day to the hospital to get blood work. Um, at that time, again, they're still checking at that time because your body isn't just building this up. You, I still needed, throughout this whole process, I would periodically need blood and platelets. Hmm. I mean, that was very a very consistent thing. So really, even through the whole process, other people's blood mm-hmm. and platelets were keeping me alive wow. um, because my body wasn't producing that. So um, I was in the hospital um, for about three weeks, and it was pretty horrible. <laughs> I mean, I had, um, that's when I began having the nausea. Also, one of the side effects I had with that was some neuropathy in mm-hmm. my feet, mm-hmm. which actually continues to this day. Um, and at that time, it was very intense. It, I, I would describe it as I felt like my feet were on fire oh. from the inside out. Mm-hmm. My blood pressure would be very high when I lay down, and then it would drop very low. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that was kind of a saga. Um, I was out of hospital for about three weeks. Did kind of our daily uh, trips back to MD Anderson. Mm-hmm. Then I kind of had a little bit of a setback. Um, I had a couple of falls back in the hospital. Wow. And kind of that whole probably September, October, um, those months are a little bit of a blur to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think back on them, I, I kind of, I did some of my writing, my journal, I kind of wrote, I identified with the Israelites when they were in the desert. Mm. I felt like I was just kind of trudging through and I couldn't, even though I was receiving wonderful care and, you know, Kenny was there. That was the other wonderful thing. He was really able to work basically from Houston. Oh, wow. And so was able to be with me. But And we had great support there in the church uh, for, yeah. if Houston was supporting us. But it was still at one home. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. seeing people regularly. And, and although people were wonderful at keeping contact with me through email and texts and, mm. you know, Facebook and all that. So, you know, I felt pretty isolated. Yeah. And so, like I say, that was probably the low part for me. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the Israelites kind of when they trudged through the desert. And I, I reminded myself, though, you know, God was providing for me that whole time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, again, forcing myself, really. I would have to say I really did. I didn't feel it Mm -hmm. a lot of times, Mm -hmm. but I would try to force myself. I kind of had gotten into that habit of, okay, I'm going to read these scriptures out loud. And and so I would do that. And and I know that God was working through Mm -hmm. that. But it was just amazing. I mean, just to look back on that and to see um, just how God, how God worked and how he continued to, you know, strengthen my body. Mm. And I went through, I did um, some physical therapy, you know, some occupational therapy. And and it was, that was discouraging just to see how I felt. I guess I felt so weak. I felt Mm -hmm, so weak mm -hmm. at that point. And, And it was hard to figure out and really imagine am I ever going to be back to normal yes. again. Yes. So. It's so interesting as I sit here and listen to you talk about this. And on this side of it, we know that, you know, those last few months and then even the therapy afterwards was actually God making you healthy again. But yes. it's it's just the really the crux of this podcast that in your darkest and your hardest mm-hmm. hours, even during your healing, you had the bone marrow transplant. God was working to make your body new again, but that's when you really hit kind of that low. Exactly. As he was bringing your healing, you know, you were still experiencing just this weakness. And um, I love the passage in Second Corinthians that talks about, you know, his grace is given to us when Paul's talking about that thorn in his side, and we don't know what Absolutely. it was. Right. But he says, you know, my grace is made perfect 
Um, or my power is made perfect perfect in your weakness weakness. and you know my grace is sufficient for you and I I just see that all over your story where you at your very lowest you know God was carrying you and and even in those months as he's bringing you back to health he's you know you're doing the physical therapy the occupational therapy you're doing all of all of these things to really just become whole again yes Um, yes you know, it's it's still hard. It's still ugly. It's you know, but he's bringing yeah. his beauty through all of that. Yeah, and I, I that is so. I mean, that's just spot on with that, and it's so right. And I think that's kind of the key too. Those are the times. I mean, I didn't feel it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't see how. I kept trying to figure out how. You know, God, how is this bringing good? How is mm. this bringing help? I felt a lot of time. A lot of the times during that, you know, I'm I'm really a burden. I'm being a burden to you know. My mm-hmm. husband can't go to work. You know. I know my kids are worrying about, you know, my mm-hmm. my church family and so many friends, my my school family, you know, people are really, you know, they're burdened for me. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 extended for me. But God was so merciful and such a, a lesson to me that of just that unmerited grace and how, you know, really when we look at ourselves as uh, although we are unworthy, God tells us we're you know, he loves us. And so in his love is what makes us worth that. Mm -hmm. And we do have to accept that. You know, Mm -hmm. we do have to really even accept that help. That was a hard thing for me to do. You know, I'm a counselor. I mean, I'm the, I'm the, I'll take care of you kind of person. Um, And it was very uncomfortable and um, unknown and kind of foreign to me Mm. to be, I called it to be the helpee. I like to be the helper. Um, so that was humbling for me, but also such just such a richly growing um, experience to know that we we all need each other, and that God that's why God tells us to have that connection and that community. Of course, empowered by Him first of all. But mm-hmm. but you're right when you're going through it, it's a mess, and sometimes you cannot see. And there were days that I really you know there was mm-hmm. truth that this this could turn either way. Right. You know, there's right. always a chance any point in time this can turn back to the negative again so what we know today you are how many how many months weeks oh, years oh my free? gosh i am well literally okay i like i say i mean i think july the 7th or something mm-hmm. was like my day that i found out that i was cancer free so in remission mm-hmm. um so yeah the bone marrow transplant the anniversary for that is coming up in about a month i was able to go back to work part-time in march of 2017 and then i was able to go back full-time um, mm-hmm. last last august um, you know, and I can and I can even see definitely the growth that I've had this year. Even when I started, mm-hmm. um, I still really experienced the fatigue. I mean, when I went mm-hmm. back to work at the beginning of the year, it's like I could get through the day. But I mean, I literally would come home and lay back in the bed every day. I was mm-hmm. still tired, and I'm definitely back to you know speed with that. God's been so merciful to me. My blood work has all been. Um, normal. My, mm. but I still go back. I go to MD Anderson every six months, mm-hmm. um, and just came back from there in um, May, um, and I still keep up with blood work about every three months here with my oncologist. Mm-hmm. And I've not had any of the. It's called graft versus host disease. Is actually the rejection mm-hmm. uh, process with that, and I've had none of that. I thank God every day just for my bed, mm-hmm. <laughs> for my mm-hmm. comfort in my bed, and and for just allowing me to be here. Just allowing me to be here. I remember um, we were talking at a wedding, I think it was last fall sometime, but I I stopped by to give you a hug and tell you uh-huh. how grateful I was to see you healthy and just we talked for a minute and I remember you said that season just almost feels like a chapter of a book that just you have the before and the after and that little season, it just almost seems kind mm-hmm. of fuzzy and like yeah. it was a blur and now yes. you're in the after. I bet, uh, yeah. It's almost like any, I think any survivor, mm-hmm. whether it's cancer or, or other illnesses or circumstances of life, anyone mm-hmm. that 
that is is a survivor, you definitely have your old normal and mm-hmm. your new normal. But you're exactly right. I just it's it's almost like God just kind of has encapsulated that period of time mm-hmm. in my life and allowed me to be back. I feel like kind of my old normal but with new eyes. Mm-hmm. And I try to remain conscious of that. You know, mm-hmm. new eyes, new focus, hopefully new gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of another key for me. I really did find that if I could somehow just kind of really be, even if I was feeling really cruddy that day, mm-hmm. if I could just, you know, be very grateful and say thank you and, you know, ask people how they were doing, mm-hmm. it really did take the focus off what was going on with mm-hmm. me. And and I do think that's another thing I feel like God has taught me or is continuing to teach me through this is, you know, oftentimes the things that happen in our life, we feel like it's uh, for us. But I know that it's not. I know Mm. I want to learn from that. But, you know, I know God's intention is for others to benefit by seeing Him through the circumstances Mm -hmm. we go through. Well, I know this season has marked you forever. And Mm. you're not Mm. the same, Susie, that you were. Just like you said, there's the before and the new version. The word that I had had um, in the year um, 2015 was the word pray. That one really carried over into 2016. The new word that I had for 2017 and that I've continued with is the word hope. Because really, we don't have anything, honestly, if we don't have hope. And so I would say, remember, and even in those dark, dark days, Mm -hmm. look for the pinprick, look for that glimmer Mm -hmm. of hope, that person or sunrise or whatever that Mm -hmm. is. And as much as you can, um, you know, latch on to that. Mm. Um, I will also just say, just as a last thing of gratitude, you know, one of the things that I asked God for when I was sick was to allow me um, to live long enough to know my grandchildren Mm. and for them to know me. And so um, really that that new little Keller (laughs) baby boy that is six months old today, today he's six months old, Mm. um, is just, you know, he's really kind of the embodiment of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, my hope for the future and for uh, the future of my family. And, mm. you know, I'm just so grateful. But again, I would also say to someone who's struggling or is wondering, don't be afraid. Reach out. There's always someone there. You know, the, there's a new movie out of, of Mr. Rogers, you know, Welcome or Won't You Be My Neighbor. <laughs> and I saw that and I did, oh my gosh, please everyone go see it. It's a wonderful, <laughs> uplifting movie. But one of the things that I remember reading about um, a quote Mr. Rogers made in working with children as I do is one thing he said is, you know, even in troubled times, look for the helpers. Mm. There's always helpers. And I would say to people, look for the helpers. And the best place to look for those helpers is um, in a gathering of believers, mm-hmm. in someone mm-hmm. who who knows the true hope, our hope, mm. our only hope for overcoming this world, um, mm. which is Christ. So. Wow. I love those words of encouragement and hope. And I am just so thankful for you taking the time to share your story today, Susie. Well, it's an opportunity. And thank you um, for giving it to me. And I've I've loved being here. Thank you. Absolutely. And goodness, I as you're saying that about looking for community and reaching out and finding hope, I just can't help but think about the picture of you doing that and just even visiting a random, quote, you know, church mm-hmm. and Absolutely. even writing on that. Yeah. Just your prayer request. Need, you weren't thinking that they were going <laughs> to exactly. offer you a place to live but because you guys have so faithfully plugged into your community here that was a value to you so when you were there you missed that and you realized the importance of just being in the room with believers and because of that act of obedience to not give up meeting together as god commands us in his word you know it was just all of these god just used that to to bring you to the place that he had for you and just knowing that importance and and walking in that obedience and so many other examples in your story but i love it that you just were 
doing the next thing that God yeah. put on your heart. And as you followed, yeah. you know, his spirit, he, he, he took care of you. He took care of us. I just can't even imagine how we could have gone through this mm-hmm. without the army. Like I said, the army of people that were carrying us and carrying us with prayer, with food, with yes. money. Yes. I mean, airline tickets to, I mean, mm. private airplanes to fly. <laughs> I mean, again, that's, that's a whole other story yes. of the generosity um, the people that God put in our yeah. life, but mm-hmm. but you're right, and that's that's such a great thing that you just said. If I hadn't reached out, then they wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that reaching out is an important it's part so too. Important. So well, as we close out our time together, I I always love to look back at the ways that God has been faithful, but I also love to to ask my listeners. So today, what's making your life beautiful? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like I say, I think I think you can probably tell it's, yes. uh, it's this new little baby. It's really it. <laughs> Again, you know, Bryce married his lovely Natalie. And, you know, see my family grow that way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm still excited about going to work with my kids every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got to tell you, that baby. The grandbaby takes the cake. He takes the cake. (laughs) And and you know what? I'm hoping for more. I'm expecting more one of these days, too. Well, thank you again. And listeners, thank you for being here with us. Um, Susie and I hope that you were encouraged by this story of God's faithfulness. We hope that wherever you find yourself in your journey today, that you would reach out to others that you would reach out to God and that you would embrace this one uniquely beautiful story that he's given you. Thank you for listening to Uniquely Beautiful Stories with Heather McIneer. Share this podcast with a friend and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now go live your own story.